As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it. Get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Let's begin this week's episode of 1% Better. It is Stephen Holder. I'm here with Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, and that was quite a game yesterday that we saw at Lucas Oil Stadium. I, I will say, Zach, that stadium was as loud as I've ever heard it. That was a big game. It felt like a big game, and it was a big opportunity, and the Colts fumbled it away. So, they're 6-6, six and six, and they've got, what, five games to go, uh, to have any shot of getting into the playoffs. They lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday. Zach, I did not say the Patriots because I did that <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I see Tom Brady. I see Patriots, right? It's, You're not the first to do that, I'm sure. Yeah. So anyway, 38-31. Pa- yeah, there, I almost did it. 38-31, Buccaneers. And this was ugly in terms of how it happened because it didn't have to happen. And I think right. that's the most frustrating thing about it. Uh, before we get into the the how it unfolded and all that, let's talk about the overarching issue here, and it's the postseason. So it's still a cluster in the AFC. Uh, the Colts are six and six. There's a few other six and six teams. There's some six and five teams. Uh, they're just outside the number seven spot. The Chargers are sitting there at six and five. If the playoffs started today. They'd be in. Um, what I mean is this going to happen? Do you think this happens? I think they got to go four and one. Am I wrong? No, you're not. I think they're going to have to beat the Patriots and the Raiders, really, to not get into that mess in week yep. 18 now, I guess it is. Eight, week 18, where you're looking at the scoreboard from the other games like they were last year. And and you don't want to get too greedy because you had a, you had no, you had Buffalo and then you had Tampa Bay. And it's like if you win one of those, you're, you feel pretty happy. Those yep. are two teams in the Final Four last year. And you pound Buffalo and then you come home. And and this is a wild stat that I dug up yesterday. The Colts have led in every game dating back to week four in Miami by double digits at some point in that game. That's crazy. That's nine straight weeks they have been ahead by 10 points or more. And obviously they've gone six and three in that stretch, and that's great. But those three losses are just absolutely killer. And as you wrote and as I wrote, there were shades of Tennessee, shades of Baltimore yesterday in that loss to Tampa Bay. And and the only prevailing thought I have in the back of my mind is come January 9th, week 18, the last day of the season, 
I feel like one of those losses is going to be what separates them from a wild card seed. We'll see what happens. We'll see if they get hot. But they got the Patriots who are playing as well as anybody in football in a couple weeks. Then they go to Arizona on Christmas Day to play a team that's 9-2 and two right now. Mm-hmm. And then you play the Raiders as well um, in January. So it's a tough finish. And I just feel like they have just slipped up one or too many times this season. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like if they don't get in the playoffs, it will be a lot – I'll see it in, in much the same way as I saw yesterday's game, which is, no, they didn't deserve to win. You know, and it's th- that's not to say they didn't play well. I thought they did play well at, at, in many portions of that game. But it's like the season. They played well at many points this season. But overall, right now, they don't deserve to be a playoff team. You know, I think that's – that's just a fair assessment, and that doesn't mean they're not good. It doesn't mean they couldn't win in the playoffs. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means they haven't done what they needed to do, uh, and that, that's what it's going to boil down to, you know, and, and injuries played a part in that and everything. I, I get all that, but it doesn't matter. No one cares, and that's just where they are. They're a team that's almost. They're a team full of almost. That's what they are, and I'll just give you real quickly here, um, looking at to, to wrap, put a bow on the uh, playoff situation. So the Chargers sitting at 6-5. and five, They're the seventh seed, just to give you their remaining schedule because I wrote it down. So I'm going to share. Uh, Bengals, Giants, Chiefs, Texans, Broncos, and Raiders. So a couple of potential slip-ups there. But they're going to probably need to go 4-1 on one and still may need some help. It's a tough place to be. It's not where you want to be. So let's talk about Sunday. Now... <laughs> crazy, Zach, okay? If, if I told you on Friday or Saturday, if I would have told you the Colts are going to move the ball up and down the field at will, they're hmm. going to hold Tom Brady to 226 yards, they're going to score 31 points. Are you taking that? Like, how much money are you putting down on that? You're running to put money down on that, right? <laughs> and they lost. Yeah. It's it's flabbergasting. And, and look... Um, I, I don't think we have to make this complicated. You can't turn the ball over five times in the NFL. This is this is the NFL. Okay, this is not yeah. high school. You cannot turn the ball over five times. And I know they, what gave, some it, people they think, gave it to Brady. Come on. And what does he do? He, he does what you exactly what he thinks he's going to do. How many chances are you going to give the guy? I mean, like, have you not watched the last twenty years of NFL football? <laughs> Come on. So uh, this is not complicated, people. Um, that doesn't mean there's not other variables. Of course there are. But there's, I defy you to find a bigger variable in any outcome of a football game than a game with five turnovers. Okay, there's just not. There absolutely is not. Um, so let's just tackle this right, right off the top here. Um, you and I have talked about this. Uh, I think there's a segment of fans who who want to grab on to, to, to theories, right? Because there's all, you got to blame somebody. Somebody's right. got to pay. Right. Uh, I would preferably blame, you know, the likes of Naheem Hines and Zach Pascal, but whatever. Um, but there's wants, or some want to blame Frank Reich. And then we become now Frank Reich's agent having to defend him because this is stupid. But look, we're not here to give you a fake picture of what happened. Um, all right. Let's just give me your thoughts and I'll, I'll give my thoughts. Um, Jonathan Taylor didn't touch the ball nearly as much as people would have wanted in parts of the second quarter and third quarter. I, I get that. 26 straight dropbacks, am I right? Correct. It's a lot. It's also 
what got them the lead. <laughs> okay. Right. So what, what you, you were just watching the tape. You said you have some observations. What'd you take away? Yeah. I am. Um, it's idiotic to think that the play calling cost them this game. That's my opinion. Um, I watched the tape and, and I'm not here. Context is really important here. And a lot of people don't have any effort to take any effort or, or any interest in actually understanding the context. Um, Look, I'm not advocating for Jonathan Taylor to be on the sideline for 26 snaps, like not in any way, shape, or form. I've written thousands of words about how good this guy is at football. We all know that. We all were watching in Buffalo. We were there. We saw what that guy did. Um, but the Bucks are the best run defense in football, and they showed it. And Bruce Arians said after the game, we made sure that JT was not going to beat us. Nobody's going to run against us, were his words. Um, and JT had eight carries for 25 yards in the first – quarter and a half it wasn't going anywhere it wasn't going anywhere the Colts had zero first downs and so from that point on during that stretch that everyone's all up in arms about they averaged seven yards per play after they moved to the passing game they had 298 yards of offense three touchdowns three different touchdown drives of 75 66 and 75 yards they put up 18 first downs if you don't agree with me turn on the tape don't just get on twitter and find some easy take and go with the hot take. Watch the tape. They were killing it over the middle to Doyle. Kylan Granson had some catches. Pittman had some catches. T.Y. had his best day of the season. Carson was lighting it up, and he had the big touchdown to Ashton Doolin. Um, and, and look, you need to attack the defense where it's most vulnerable. The Bucks are incredible in, in the front, right? They're incredible up front. They were making sure the Colts could not run the football. And so what did Reich do? He adapted, he changed his game plan, and he started to they started to carve them up in the passing game. They were averaging, you know, they went from averaging three yards a play with no first downs to seven yards a play and 18 first downs in that stretch. Now, for those saying they didn't get Jonathan Taylor involved, that's not accurate either either. They threw it to him three times and he had a total of two yards on those catches. So hmm. personally, I think it's an idiotic take. I'm not saying you abandon the run. I'm not, you know, I was up in the press box saying they should run it. Okay. I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm not saying you just ignore 28 is one of the best players in football, but it was working. And, and that's not why they lost the game. Like it's obvious. Um, they lost the game because Naheem finds Hines fumbled a punt because Zach Pascal fumbled that pass because Eric Fisher got beat off the edge. And because the defense allowed five touchdowns to Leonard Fournette, four touchdowns to Leonard Fournette, and one to Ronald Jones. It, it, I mean, let's think about this like critically. The, I just, I just don't get it. Um, and I've been critical of Reich this season. I've been critical of Reich in the past. They're fourth in total offense this year. They're fourth right now, and people are saying they should fire the coach who's calling the plays. They're fourth God, in total so offense stupid. right now. I, like, in stop three it. of the stop three it. of the four years. <laughs> Three of the four years, the, the three years they've had a starting quarterback, right? We'll, we'll admit 2019, they've been top nine in total offense. They were ninth last year with Rivers, who had his limitations, and they were fifth in 2018. I just don't get it. And I'm not excusing not giving the ball to Taylor 26 straight plays, but also they didn't call 26 straight passes. They did not call 26 straight passes. I don't know how some people don't understand that. A lot of those were RPOs. And I'm not going to throw Wentz under the bus either for choosing to take the play that puts his offense in the best position to get yards and points and first downs, right? I mean, what is coaching at its like basic core tenant? It's putting your players in the best position 
to succeed. That's like coaching 101. Um, Frank is giving that to Wentz, who played pretty well yesterday, 300 yards, three touchdowns against one of the best defenses in football. I'll end my rant here in a second, but um, I people need to start understanding that this is a little bit more like chess than it is checkers, not to quote training day, but it's it's more than just give Jonathan Taylor the ball against a nine-man box and, and pray that he makes it work. Yeah, and that is perfect. a perfect segue to what I was going to say, which is that, look, I will say this. I love Jonathan Taylor. Like, Jonathan Taylor is incredible. I think he's one of the best players in football. I I actually turn into a fanboy watching him a little bit. This, you know, he's in incredible. Terms of, he's incredible. Yeah, it's just, he's just fun to watch, right? You can't watch that kid play and not enjoy the hell out of it, right? All of that being said, Jonathan Taylor is not a magician, okay? <laughs> you don't just hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor and magic happens, okay? That is stupid. That is not football. That is not real, okay? Unicorns don't exist. He's not even a unicorn, even him, all right? And what that means is you don't just magically hand Jonathan Taylor the football and touchdowns just appear like rainbows. It doesn't work that way. So much has to go into it. So much has to unfold. So much has to happen in addition to him being a great playmaker. If those things aren't possible, those other things that I'm talking about, then it doesn't happen. (laughs) It's just how it is, man. And at the end of the day, you had a situation. You mentioned it already, Zach. Um, they did throw him the ball. He didn't produce much there. I will say this. Go back to the first quarter. This is how adamant the, the Bucks were about not letting Jonathan Taylor beat them. He got four carries in the first quarter. One of them went for four yards. The others, they went for minus two, minus two, and zero yards. Second quarter, he popped a couple. I think he had an eight-yard run in the second quarter, early on in the second quarter, before the touchdown to Doolin. And you know what happened? The Bucks said, uh-uh. Nope, we're going back. And they brought that safety down, and that was the end of it. And so here's a fun fact. When they brought the safety down, later in that drive, it was only a three-play drive, I think, but after Taylor pops one for eight yards, they bring the safety down into the box. Guess what? Next play, boom, dueling over the top with a single safety. Exactly. The play action, exactly. I watched this on the tape 10 minutes ago. Like, you guys got to see that, you know? And I, listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like football's, you know, just like all this is obvious. I'm not going to say that, right? I mean, I, I get that football at some level is a simple game, but there are some complexities within it. Like, it's not like people, like, coaches aren't aren't necessarily saying you're stupid when they try to tell you these things. Like, they're real. They're, these things are real. There's all these little variables and the game within the game is real and, and all that stuff that you got to consider. So, look. Given Jonathan Taylor that run and he gets eight yards, it doesn't really show up. It's not going to show up on on a highlight on on Sunday night, but you know that attempt actually maybe set up dueling for that touchdown, and so it goes on and on throughout the game. You know you can't ignore him getting stuffed in the first quarter. You can't ignore him getting stuffed on the third and two, which they had to then go for on the fourth and one because they did not convert. You know that was I think late in the second quarter. So, I mean, these things happened. And, you know, look, Frank Reich doesn't hate Jonathan Taylor. I assure you. <laughs> okay. I assure you he does not he hate He doesn't him. forget about Jonathan Taylor either. But they were they were rolling. Like, they yeah. were moving the ball. Like, I, I promise you, go back and watch the tape from yesterday. Like, 
you'll forget how many catches Jack Doyle had over the middle. And then Granson got involved, and Pittman was wide open, and T.Y. was wide open. I mean, Carson was on fire, and they were piling up yards and first downs. And the game wasn't lost there. It just it just was not. Yeah, I mean, if anything, I think what's remarkable about this game is that the Colts were, I think, the better offense for much of the day with a vastly uh, inferior cast to the Buccaneers. I mean, look at who they were trotting out there, right? And look who the Colts are trotting out. I mean, Rob Gronkowski's out there. I mean, he's got seven catches for 123. Uh, I think certainly Jonathan Taylor tips the scale a little bit, and there's no question. I think Michael Pittman's a very competent player, but I mean, Buccaneers got a lot of freaking talent on both sides of yeah, the ball. They're, I'm, they're, I'm not saying good. it's okay to they're lose. They're a good team. They're good. I'm, I'm not saying it's okay to lose, but the Colts outplayed them, man, just about at every turn in this game. It boils down to turnovers, man. I mean, you can't give Tom Brady chance after chance after chance. And, and I want to drill down a little bit on the turnovers because I think a couple things need to be said. And I'm disappointed in a couple of things. Number one, Naheem Hines, I, he doesn't need me to tell him. That just can't happen, dude. You call for a fair catch. All you have to do is catch the ball. They can't hit you. You got to catch the ball, and he's usually sure-handed. I, I know, but it just it can't happen. It cannot happen. This is a guy they paid. They gave you an extension. Yeah, they're counting on you on his own eighteen-yard line. It can't happen. That was probably the most egregious one because it it really just gave him. It, it just served up a touchdown. So then I would say the other thing is the the one to Pittman. I'm really disappointed there because. He doesn't fight for the ball at all. He makes no attempt. And it, it just was the most un-Pittman-like thing. Yeah. This is normally Let, a guy who goes up and fights. One. I didn't get a good look at this one yesterday. And I went right. back and watched it today. And 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 I and I got a lot on Twitter from people saying there was PI, DPI. And and I saw Winfield grab him. Like, you could have absolutely called it. And we should talk okay, about fair. this because I saw it a couple times. Um wasn't one. If I'm the Colts, I'm taking a jump ball with Pittman ten out of ten times. I, I'm going to live with the with, with whatever happens, right? We've oh, seen that in interject. San Francisco. Let me interject. Antoine Winfield is five nine. Okay, let's be clear. Yeah, I mean Pittman's six three, and he plays like he's six six. Um, right. So sorry. But let's talk about what we talked about in the press box yesterday or DPIs. And, and I think I agree with your point. Where I'm always kind of going to fall in the court of stop calling ticky tack DPIs. I hate that. Like, sure. Everything is stacked against the defender anyway. You're going to call these little things like that just bothers me. But secondly, to your point yesterday, just call it consistent. Just call it consistent. I don't think they did that yesterday. No. I'm good with them calling the long one on Rock because he grabbed him on the waist. You're going to get called every time. I hated the one on Carey in the end zone. That ball was not catchable. Like Frank said later, Brady was just throwing it in the dirt. And that sets up a first and goal from the one, right? Those yeah. – those, we're not the reason the Colts lost the game, but just call the damn game consistently. And I hate these ticky-tack DPI calls. And, and then you see Winfield. He definitely had some hands on Pittman before that jump ball. I wish they would call consistent. They didn't yesterday. Again, referees did not cost the Colts the ball game. The Colts did that on their own by turning the ball over five times. Um, but I just, I just wish the rest would keep it consistent both sides. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let me be clear about something. And I, I think, you know, we've probably both gotten into this on social media a little bit, but let's do it here. So, like you just said, they didn't lose the game because of officiating. I think that is 100% true. But that being said, it's okay to, like, be upset about officiating, okay? Um, I think, you know, we asked Frank Reich after the game. He didn't take the bait. He didn't really have much of a problem. He, he did, I think, make a good point on the penalty against Kerry that he thought it was a throwaway and they kind of bailed him out. Yeah, so he, he makes a good point there. The other point I'd make on the carry uh, DPI is that I, I thought the contact went both ways. Yes. So I thought there was push-off. I thought they were jostling, and yeah, sometimes maybe you just let the sleeping dog lie. So I don't know. That, that would be my he takeaway. Was, he wasn't catching the ball, not no. in a million years, not that pass. Yeah, so – so anyway, um, the one on Rocky Sin, yeah, I mean, look, I think I'm not surprised they call that. If you're surprised they call that, then I don't know what to tell you. But uh, do do does that call get consistently legislated? Do guys grab sometimes and get away with it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that's my biggest issue was just the the equitable or unequitable nature of interference calls. I just don't think that they are are balanced. And I think it's one of the, it's a very hard judgment call anyway. And because of that, I think it tends to be one of the penalties with the biggest like variances in terms of how it's called. It's, it's the most human penalty, right? You know, it's the most, it's ripe with most mistakes. You know, it's, it's hard to call. I get it. Yeah. And so it's a hard, it's a hard thing to legislate. I, I get it. I get why it's difficult for the referees or excuse me, for the officials in real time. I understand all of that. Uh, but I just I think the the variance and how it's legislated to me is really frustrating if I'm if I'm a coach or a player really really frustrating. Now that being said, on the Pittman play, I think that's a good example of where a wide receiver can help his quarterback. Okay, I mean at minimum, just don't let him intercept it. <laughs> I don't care if you catch it, but don't let him take the ball away, man. You know, um, I think you got to make some effort there. I, I'd like to see him make some effort, get to that ball, or at least, I mean, hell, take a PI. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, take, yeah, take an OPI. Sure. You know, sure. you can't let that happen. I, I thought that was really disappointing. And then the other issue is Zach Pascal. That was the worst game, absolute worst game I've ever seen from Zach Pascal, who is not necessarily, you know, Devontae Adams or anything, but like, my goodness. Like, if you're going to be a guy who plays that many snaps and he plays a lot of snaps, then you cannot hurt your team like that. I didn't. I didn't see this coming. Did you? From Pascal, no, he had a good well, camp. I mean, he he wanted a contract in the off season. They brought yeah. him back on the on the the tender. I I just I'm very stunned that Pascal has not brought more to this offense. I I don't think fumble, he's had a good season at all. 
That's the first of his career. Yeah. And, you know, he, he just never puts the ball away. I mean, Levante David gets it out, but it wasn't exactly a it wasn't exactly a, a Darius Leonard punch. I mean, it was like a, I, I wrote in my story that it was a love tap. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it didn't it was, take it much. Was, that ball was begging to come out. Right. So, you know, I get it. You're in a vulnerable position and you, you didn't have a chance to put it away. No one cares, man. It is what it is, right? So, and I think that leads me to a related point, and you're free to chime in here too, um, Zach. I, I think that their to-do list, whatever happens this offseason, or excuse me, whatever happens at the playoff race, this offseason, they got to go out and they got to add a big-time playmaker. They just have to. That wide receiver. Yep. They have to. Um, yep. Jonathan Taylor, love him, okay? Michael Pittman, yes, love him. I think he has what number one wide receiver potential. I think right now he's their number one. Uh, but I'd like to see someone come in who could maybe challenge that role, challenge for that role. Uh, I really think if you want Carson Wentz to really be the player that he can be, that might be what he needs. And I don't think he's ever really had a big-time receiver. I mean, think about what he had in Philadelphia. I mean, that group was yeah. never really that good. It was a committee, you know, yeah. So, I mean, this guy for his entire career has been throwing to wide receiver by committee. And he's had some guys, had some good seasons, but I don't think he's ever really had what I'd consider to be a dog, you know, in, in his prime. And I think maybe that's how you help him. That's how you help Because he's going to make that guy better. He's going to give him chances to make plays. That's what Carson Wentz does. I think Michael Pittman has benefited from that. Uh, but But I think, you know, we're always... You can think about now and you can think about later. You got to do both at the same time if you're Chris Ballard, the GM, right? And so he's trying to win right now, but you're also thinking about the future. And if I'm, I know he may not see it this way, but I can tell you how I see it. They need a threat, okay? They need a threat. You can't look at that Tampa Bay team on the other side and be like, yeah, we can go toe-to-toe with each guy individually. You can't. Right. They did, which is a miracle, but... I mean, it's hard, you know, it's really, really hard. Um, I don't know. I, I just, that's just my takeaway. I just think that Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman are great, but I think your list of playmakers and Naheem Hines, but he's such a utility guy that it's, it's not the same. I, I just think that you need something else. I don't know. Um, tell me this uh, defense. I have trouble evaluating the defense. Like I, I don't think they played poorly. I mean, I think Tom Brady, 226 yards. I can live with that. Um, I, I think the most disappointing thing was there's two things. I think it was certainly Gronk being wide open too many times. And then the running game, I thought being a little more productive than I ever anticipated. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have Leonard Fournette going for 17 yards, 17 carries for a hundred yards. I did not have that on my bingo card. So, uh, but I don't think it was a bad defensive game against the number one offense in the NFL, but uh, what was your take on the defense? Uh, Not great, but not terrible in my estimation. Yeah. I I might disagree with you. I I wasn't real thrilled with the defense. I was disappointed. They gave up a hundred yards to Fournette. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the first hundred yard rusher they've given up under Matt Eberflus. That's not named Derrick Henry. Right. Hmm. So you give those to Henry because everybody does, but um, the run defense is such a staple of that unit and they didn't get it done. I don't see any other way around that. Um, and, and this, and we've talked about the turnovers and how much that cost them in the short fields and all that. But when the defense needed to make a play, there was a couple times when they did. Buckner had the the tip ball, and, and 
Taylor Stallworth had the play early, and, and Buckner had another one, and Quiddy Pay had a sack, but they couldn't keep the Bucks out of the end zone, and they gave up 38 points, and, and that's going to get you beat. Um, they had two turnovers early, but I just felt like the run defense let them down late. And and I know that the, the stage was set for Brady on that last drive. I don't know what they have, two and a half minutes to go, and we all kind of felt like the same thing was going to happen. But go make a play. And I know Darius was telling himself that on the sideline. Go make a play. And he was really ticked off after the game that he didn't. Um, there was one ball with Fournette where he was going to punch it on that last drive, and he didn't. His wrist was a little messed up, he said, from earlier in the game. Um, but, you know, you got to get off the field. And, and they didn't play complimentary football well enough late in the game. They gave up 38 points. They held Brady in check. But this was a classic Brady performance. Like, he didn't do anything spectacular. He just played really, really smart. I mean, look at him on that last drive. Mostly handoffs. He took the open throws the whole day. He didn't force anything over the top. I mean, he, he didn't lose the game for his team. And I felt on the other side of the, of the, of the ball, the Colts lost this game. You know, the, the the Bucks didn't necessarily go out and win it. The Colts gave it to him with that muffed punt, with the pass goal, with, God, Eric Fisher just whiffing on Shaq Barrett on the edge. I mean, that was horrendous. Um, I'm not going to kill Wentz for the underthrow on, on Pittman. That was weird, but I'd still take Pittman in those jump balls. But yeah. um, I, I, I they just they just – they seem to be repeating these same types of mistakes. They find penalties. They find turnovers. They can't get the drive they need to. Um, they found a way to lose these close games more often than not this season. And I think that's going to be the biggest regret come January, you know, 9th or 10th. Yeah, it's uh, it's frustrating. I, I think, you know, you mentioned something that I think is, is interesting or important. You know, they – they actually got a fair amount of pressure on Tom Brady, which is not a an easy thing to do. And it's tough. And they did he gets that. it out so quickly, right? He does. He does. They they got a fair amount of pressure. I'm actually heartened a little bit by by the pass rush. It's not good enough, and and it needs to be a lot better and more consistent for sure. But I I think the last few games have been heartened by it, and and it's definitely gotten better. I think for sure. But they haven't been able to put it all together, and I think you know the the coverage in the middle of the field is, it remains a problem. It has been a problem. You know the tight ends. Gronk is not the first guy to do this. You know we saw this with Mark Andrews, who's a great player, by the way. Both those guys, great players. You know, but Gronk about, was wide open. All but he was day. wide open. <laughs> he was wide open, and that's that's what's most frustrating about it. And and the thing is with Tom Brady. He will find that guy. He will find the guy who's wide He's open. The best he, at that. He's the yeah. best at that. He he understands uh, defenses. He understands what you're giving him, and I think you you summed it up very well. I think one of the things that Tom Brady does so well is it's not that he it's not that he's throwing you know, forty yard touchdowns all day. That's not him anymore. He can do it, but that's not his game necessarily. He's just going to be patient. He's going to take what you give him, and then he will hit you over the top from time to time. And take those Unless shots. he throws it to Isaiah Rogers. Shout out Isaiah Rogers for reading that thing the whole way. That was a great yeah. play. By the way, Isaiah Rogers, talk about doing your part. Okay. Yeah. Talk about doing yeah. your part. I mean the kick return late. The, the it was too return. late, but still. I mean, you gotta love the effort and yeah. you gotta love the explosion on that one. Yeah, I mean that you know, that guy, he look, I don't know how polished a player he is, but he makes things happen. I give him that. He definitely makes things happen. And you know, it's just it's just unfortunate. Like I said, they 
they did a lot of good things in that game, and I, I think they they definitely have a lot to build on. But uh, you you can't make those kinds of mistakes against that team. That team? You kidding me? No, no way, no way. Um, I, I think that one of the things that I, I look at with this team is, let me ask you this: Th- this was a good game to have this discussion. When we look at the Colts as they're currently constituted. How far away are they from being a team that can consistently win those types of games? Like just their personnel and that kind of thing. You know, I think that's a conversation to have. I don't think they're far. And if you disagree, let me know. I don't think they're far at all. Like I just mentioned, I mean, they they were pounding the Ravens. The Ravens are the top seed in the AFC right now. They were pounding the Ravens. They could have beat the Titans twice. I know the first time was a little bit of a stretch, but Wentz was playing on one ankle at best that day, and you could just tell he was limited. And and they played toe to toe with the Bucks yesterday, the World Champs. Um, they had them. You know they were up ten at halftime. Um, I don't think it's that far. Like they keep saying that they don't. They're not that far away. But it's those little things, and and it all it all adds up over the course of the season. Um, we'll see how the last five games play out. But like you said, I mean, I was thinking yesterday. I was thinking you were thinking wide receiver help, and I agree with you a hundred percent. And I'm thinking, what the hell are they going to do at left tackle? Because they don't have yeah. a first-round pick. And I don't know if, if Fisher's giving you what you need. I mean, he was burned yesterday. Now, he has had some good games of late for sure. Let's look at the good and the bad. Um, but that's still a long-term concern that needs to be fixed. And I said all spring that you were going to miss Anthony Costanzo more than you realize. I think that's fair to say this season. They have really missed his consistency, his durability at that left tackle spot. And then, you know, you've got a shaky cornerback secondary room. You know, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast correctly unless we called out Sandejo, who's who's just been terrible the last couple of weeks. Like yeah, it's been bad. the angles, the hit on Brady, he led with his helmet. Like I know they don't have any better options, but it if that's the best, then that's a serious question you need to ask is why is that the best option you have? I think Kari Willis comes back next week. Um yeah. but man, Sandejo's killing them. It seems like every game there's just a big play that he gives up. So there's some leaky spots throughout this roster. We'll get more into that, obviously, in the offseason. But um, we'll see. I, I, I don't know what we're going to learn the last five games other than what we've already learned so far. They're a good team. They can play with anybody. But finishing the job is a totally different story. Yeah, I, I think these are the kinds of games that you that you measure your roster. You know, And I think when we get to the offseason, we'll look at these games. And we'll. That, that's how I think you can determine – who can cut it and who can't. And the one thing I'll say is that one thing this team has done over previous years under Frank Reich is basically to, you know, to be blunt, shit the bed against bad teams. They haven't done that this year for the most part. And I think that is a step. Now their record doesn't reflect that there's been progress. I get that, right? Six, you look at six and six and you're like, eh, they're 11 and five last year. Now that's fine. That's fair. I think the schedule's been a little tougher. The injuries definitely were a factor. They they definitely uh, were besieged by injuries this year. But but that, I think, at least I would say in the last half of the season or so, uh, they, they, they have definitely, it seems, moved past that that point of underperforming against bad teams. That The Jacksonville game, you could argue, all right, maybe that was some underperformance, but I think that was really just a great defensive performance by Jacksonville. And ultimately, they won because that's never a guarantee against Jacksonville. <laughs> okay, so so I guess what I'm saying is, 
uh, and this is not a glass half half full um, conversation, but I think again, you know, I think part of this is part of this entire season really was about figuring out what kind of team this was. You know, new quarterback, uh, some some key spots in transition, like the left tackle, as you said. So I think this was always going to be a year of evaluation. It doesn't mean you can't win while you're evaluating and trying to figure out how to move forward, but it does mean that you don't really know what you are. So I think we have a good picture of what they are right now. I think, as you said, I agree they're close. Uh, I think there are some spots to upgrade, and I think these three games in particular, Baltimore, Tennessee, and Tampa Bay, I think they have reinforced that for me, that, you know what, you're close, but you got to do more. And, you know, you look at the performance they got from DeForest Buckner. I mean, he gave him everything he had yesterday. And, I, you know, despite going off the field and with that knee injury, and uh, he was in it. I mean, he, he was there. He was a factor all day long. So, I mean, they've got guys who are capable of playing with the best. But uh, I, I think they need a couple more, really, to get over that hump completely. So they're close. And they're going to have to be better than close these last five games, as we said. Five to go. At Houston next week, I think that New England game, which is in prime time in two weeks, that is going to be massive. And uh, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, what you got A this big week? New England game? I'm, I'm, that <laughs> sounds like old times. I'm ready. I mean, we'll see. I mean, they got to take care of business here, right? against Houston, which shouldn't be a problem. They beat them 31 to 3 last time. But then again, Houston's a much better team with Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. And then they get the bye, which is the latest bye I've ever seen for this team, at least since I've been covering them. Tell and then they'll that. have, you know, essentially the game of the year, Saturday Night Football, NFL Network. Um, if, they use, if you lose that one, then just kiss the playoffs goodbye. But if you win it, you'll have a chance those last four weeks. Yeah, so that's the deal. Um, we'll see. Look, I think it's going to still be intriguing down the stretch. They still have a shot. And I still think they're a pretty good team um, that – 500 record notwithstanding so uh real quick uh, what you got this week zach you got uh something interesting coming up i think that the readers might be interested yeah in. i had a long 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 chat with carson wentz about a week ago about everything that's happened in his life the last year about the end in philly and frank Wright calling him and saying you want to come to indy and kind of how everything is restarted for him so it's fascinating he's as honest as i've heard him um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting look at a guy that really was at the crossroads of his career. Yeah, so check that out. Um, I hope you've taken advantage of the Black Friday uh, special. I think it's still active today. Uh, today's Monday, the 29th. I, I think it's still good through today. So uh, last shot. Now, lots of you have taken advantage of that, so we appreciate it, man. And uh, we, we know, or we hope, uh, that you... You feel like you, you made a good decision there. So anyway, that's the podcast for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. We're back next week um, after the game at Houston. So stay tuned for that. Uh, this is 1% better.